Roaming on Campus, episode 15. In this episode, I'm joined with tourism management student Callum Schofield as we dive into his own podcast, The Schofield Stories. We are recording Roaming on Campus, episode 15. Hello and welcome. Happy New Year. I hope you as a listener are keeping well. As always, it's your host, Kenny Macheka. And in this episode, I'm joined with another podcaster. He is the host and creator of the Schofield Stories, studies tourism management at Leeds Beckett University, coming from Wales. Callum Schofield, welcome. Thank you for having me on, Kenny. Really looking forward to talking to you about well, podcasting, university and everything in between. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming. To be honest, I was expecting you to re- respond soon because I'd be surprised if you didn't come just because of what you do, like pushing your comfort zones and just like not holding back from speaking, right? Yeah, definitely. No, I do love talking now as I've had um, a battle for the last 19 years with my speech. But I've got to the point now that, yes, I still block or stutter now and again, but it doesn't hold me back. So when you dropped me a message asking to come on, I thought, you know, absolutely. Another podcast, another fellow podcaster. So how could I say no to that? (laughs) Amazing. And how's your Christmas holiday been so far, being back home and with family? Yes, nice to be back home. It's little things that I've found that I've missed, just like having food in the cupboard, having a seti, a TV with Sky and BBC, you know, it's all these little stuff that I've definitely taken or took for granted when I was home before uni. So it's nice to come back and have a couple of weeks off. I've had no work set, so I can really just relax, speak to friends, spend time with family and yeah, have a nice few weeks. Fantastic. The one highlight I took from that is where you said food in the cupboard. So it sounds like you don't get much chance to cook at university. Are you mostly a takeouts kind of person? Well, I do try to cook. I, I'm. If any of my flatmates listen to this, they'll know that when I tried cooking everyone paella once, I didn't cook the rice. So I nearly killed everyone in one night. And that kind of put me off cooking, but I do try. I can cook a decent curry, pasta's a go-to, but sometimes, well, the later it gets, the easier it is just to order a kebab, order a pizza, and when there's a lot of you, because you split the cost, and it's, yeah, so it's that always moral dilemma, whether you actually eat healthy or eat easy. Yeah, no, I completely understand what you mean, especially towards exam times where there's just not any time to really cook. Oh, exactly. Sometimes just a kebab in the middle of the night is what you need to cheer you up. Yeah, just go over kebab. experience. Yeah, yeah nice. So <laughs> you obviously have your own podcast called The Schofield Stories, and it's largely based around raising awareness for men's health. But I think before that, I think uh, it would be wise to maybe just give a backstory of yourself because we both know that your podcast is inspired 
by you journeying to overcome your stutter. So tell us your background and just like, first of all, what is stuttering and how did it affect you? Yeah, well, stuttering is speech impediment. It's quite hard to explain, as you probably found, that there's not a lot of research on it. There's not a lot, like, I can't say a known cause. I can't say a known cure or anything like that. So it can be quite hard to explain. But it's basically blocks, whether that's repeating words, repeating sounds, the elongation of letters, sounds, or words. And that affected me since I was, I want to say, four or five. Mm. So from the age of five, I had a stutter, I developed a stutter, whether that was nature or nurture, I don't really know. Growing up, I remember it started to affect me towards the end of primary school. When I was about nine, ten, that was when I started to notice. And maybe I don't notice myself, but other people noticed. That's when I remember having people okay. laugh at me a bit and things along those lines. So that was when it started to brew maybe then secondary school meeting so many new people and new environments that's when my speech was at its worst at times I did struggle a lot with my speech and then that had a knock-on effect on confidence on my ability to speak to my friends speak to my teachers so I did struggle I became a very emotional guy and being a, a young lad being a teenager secondary school you don't want to show weakness. You don't really want to show emotion. So being yeah. an emotional guy, you know, I, I did get upset about my speech a lot. So it was kind of a catch-22. You know, a heads-you-win-tails-I-lose situation as my speech was upsetting me. Then I was getting upset about getting upset in front of people. Yeah. So that continued. And that continued then through secondary school. That was a challenging time. I found a bit of a safe haven by doing a GCSE in performing arts, as I've always liked acting. Probably the cliche that when you're on stage, you're not yourself, you're someone else. When I'm on mm. stage, I'm a character. This character hasn't got a stutter. So I learnt my lines, rehearsed my lines, even changed a few words in the script to suit words I could say. Right. And, you know, doing shows, stuff like that, that really helped me. But then... It was, again, a catch-22, because even though I was doing well, doing these shows, I still couldn't put my hand up in class. I still couldn't order what I wanted if I went out for food. So it was kind of a tough one. And that was tough for some of my teachers to understand, and friends, of how on stage under 100 people, I could speak well. Then without, then just one-on-one, -on -one, I struggled. And because I didn't speak about my stutter a lot, it's only probably in the last... 12 months I've started speaking about my stutter openly that if I didn't talk about it then no one else would either because they wouldn't know how to go about it and fast forward I went to yeah. college I did two years of A-levels then I didn't really know what to do didn't feel university ready so I ended up working at McDonald's full time I wasn't happy there my speech was bad I tried hiding my stutter because I was ashamed um, I remember stepped into customers. I had abuse off customers for blocking. And that was quite hard, particularly a time when I lost my temper with a customer who was making fun of me and nearly got the sack as a result. So that was All quite right. a challenging time. I'm curious, when you got angry, did you stutter in that moment? Not in that moment. I couldn't get my words out. There was a bit of a crisis at work. The 
fry machine broke. So I had to tell yeah. the customers they didn't have fries. It was on the headset on the drive through. And this customer started completely taking a mick out of me. So I'm not going to repeat okay. what I said, but I told him where he could go, told him where to go practically. Yeah. And another customer heard me reporting me, and I nearly got a sack for it. Oh, but wow. But luckily, it was quite lucky. The manager who was on shift understood. She was a bit like, if I was in your position, I would have told him the same. So I was quite lucky in that sense. But that was sort of a turning point when I thought, I can't react like that every time someone laughs or makes fun of my status. So that's when I started to look at the options. Started looking at options. I was friends with a man called Mark Murphy, who went on a course called the Starfish Project, which is a three-day speech course. Mm -hmm. So I had a look at Starfish. Then September 2019, I went down to the Starfish Project and cliche again but it changed my life it gave me a cost of breathing technique which i still use and gave mm-hmm. me a, a speaking technique could you to tell really us use what is cost of breathing yes basically before a word you take in a sharp breath and then hit the word at the top of the breath mm-hmm. I, I can't give you the science of how it works i got no idea but yeah. when you use this technique right it works but you know, there's always times that if I'm stressed or flustered, I won't be able to get it right. But a breathing technique, you know, this hitting the word on the top does really help. So I attended that in September 2019. Then I dedicated the next few months, say until about Christmas, to purely practicing that technique and working on my speech, you know, in every situation. And I set myself up well. I went back to Starfish in January of this year. And mm-hmm. I went back to, again, refresh my own knowledge, but I also ended up teaching the technique to new people on the course, which is unheard of for someone with six months' experience to be back and teaching it that soon. And it's because I dedicated myself to working on my speech. Then during this lockdown, I came across a charity called Stop Holding Back, which... Mm-hmm work on the personal development side for people who stutter, came across them, and now I'm a key member of the community. We work together a lot, work on my own speech, work on other people's speech, and it's nice to be a part of two quite big stuttering communities. So that's a bit, that's briefly my story, that takes it up to now, Mm. and here we are. Very cool. So yeah, it sounds like you've been really active in terms of overcoming your stammer and helping others. And I think I think the main takeaway I think people should understand is when you're going through your stammer, it's not just for disfluencies and the repetitions, right? It's like yeah. you feel fear before you're speaking as if your body doesn't want you to be speaking. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's so much more to it. The mental struggles, like when I was... 18, I was still getting my mother to order my food for me in restaurants. And you'd always get some funny looks off waiters or waitresses when they're probably the same age as me, if not younger than me, and I'm looking to my mother to order my food. It's little things like that. Like I would never go to a drive through I would never order at the bar. Like If we went out for food or drinks, I would always make sure it was a Weatherspoon so I could use the Weatherspoons app. 
you know, just trying to find every opportunity to not speak because of the fear, because of the doubt, because of the unreal amount of anxiety I felt. And I think that's a common theme throughout a lot of people who step there. Mm. But it's interesting, the fact that you still took on a job at McDonald's because when I was younger, I didn't have any part-time job. And I think I did specifically avoid just because I didn't want to start it. It was only when I was 20 that I got a part-time job. So like, what? So I know you didn't want to go to university, but what made you specifically work at McDonald's? Because that is the last place I'd want to work at if I feared stuttering. Yeah, it's the last place I want to work at now. And I was there for a year and a half. But I think it was, I was applying for a few jobs because... I started working at McDonald's when I was still doing my A-levels. And I knew I kind of... I wanted that bit of extra money just to have something. And because I knew I wasn't ready for university, I didn't want to finish my A-levels and have nothing. Mm. So I probably started at McDonald's around June 2018. And I thought I could hire my stutter. I thought, just put me in the kitchen. I won't have to speak, won't have to say anything. I managed to hire my stutter in the interviews. And yeah, so I think really what was my main driving force for going and getting the job was I won't have to speak. I'll be able to hire my stutter. We hear it all the time about how McDonald's isn't the best place to work and all the jokes about it. But little did I know, it's actually a very hard place to work. And you do have to work hard. You You have to be quite good at your job. But if I knew that in hindsight, I don't know whether I would have went through with it. Yeah, I understand. So tell us about the Schofield stories then. So I'm guessing once you joined the Starfish Project, got in touch with the Stop Holding Back, you felt motivated to really just push yourself, right? Yeah, it's exactly that really. Is I started to write blogs when I left the Starfish course for the first time just to talk about stammering, stuttering and my story. But then I wanted to go that little bit further. So I thought, what can I do to a step up? You know, YouTube and videos like that isn't really my thing. I'll upload podcasts onto YouTube, but I'm just not interested in it. So I thought, what's a challenge and what purely relies on speaking and (laughs) nothing else? I thought, start a podcast. So January 2020, I released an episode which was purely me talking about my story. It was me sharing my story, just me. And yeah, released that, got good feedback. But then I didn't give myself a time to follow it up. So when lockdown happened, I started it up again. I thought I'll actually do a series. I started interviewing people with stammers, with stutters. And again, I thought... How can I go a little bit further? I've gone from writing stuff to speaking about myself to interviewing others who stutter. So then the next step was, okay, I'm going to interview people who don't stutter. And then that was the next step up. So I did the first series. I think the first interview I did with someone who didn't stutter was an actor called Jamie Chambers. He was a stormtrooper in the recent Star Wars films and he's been in quite a few things. Mm. And he's also a fan of Scroobius Pip, who's a podcaster, rapper, and also has a stutter. So he had some knowledge. 
Then I interviewed someone called B- Bob Aylin, who won season three of Hunted, the Channel 4 programme. And interviewing those two people sort of gave me those good starting blocks to actually yeah. see how far I could take this. So I did my first mm. series interviewing a range of people, some stutterers, some people without stutters, you know, complete range of people with, with all great stories. Then in, I think it was May or June, I finished on the first series and thought, right, how can I go bigger and better? So I got myself podcasting equipment for my birthday. And I <laughs> thought, how can I hit new people, maybe? And I just sent out as many tweets, emails, Instagram messages as possible. And it just so happens that per, per Paralympic gold medalist Mark Colburn, who's a cyclist, and also from the same town as me originally, saw one of my tweets. And that really set me up well. As Mark Colburn now, who's an MB as well, is a very good friend of mine. You know, I'll call him up, he'll call me up. And he was the first episode of Series 2. And mm. he set me up with some brilliant people, like Mark Ormrod, former Royal Marine, who was the first triple amputee to survive the Afghan conflict. An inspiring person I never thought I could have on the podcast. So the common theme has really been seeing how I can go further, seeing what guests I can have on. And particularly for this second series, I interviewed a former paratrooper called Nick Dunn, who was part of the Chennai Six, which is six British people who got arrested and imprisoned in India for committing no crime, for purely being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And now Nick Dunn, he's a bodybuilder. Like I'm probably the size of one of his arms. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. And in the past, to do with my speech and my anxieties, I never thought I could speak to anyone you know, looks who got a big tough alpha male image. Never yeah, mind interviewing right. them. But so interviewing Nick Dunn was a massive turning point for me because he was a you know he's a great man, really is. And interviewing someone like that, former paratrooper, big, huge alpha male weightlifter. Yeah, that was brilliant. And now I'm still going strong, still interviewing as many different people as I can, some episodes. My speech is strong. Other episodes, like with Paralympic swimmer Oliver Hind, my speech, I'll admittedly say, was very, I don't want to use the word terrible, but it wasn't as strong as it has been in the past. So I yeah, had I'm guessing just about a challenge, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I've got to think about what's going on. Like when I interviewed Ollie Hind, I had four interviews that day. He was my first one, so it was early. It was in the build-up to university, so my mind was far from my podcast, but I still released the episode, because if I can release an episode where I stutter openly, or more so than others, then I'm hoping that could inspire other people as well. So it's been a massive learning curve, but I've loved every second of it, really. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So I'm guessing you started off with people who started just because... It feels easier, right? It's not as stressful in terms of or like psychologically having to speak to somebody else who has a starter sometimes. Yeah, definitely. You know, you get those common grounds, similarities. And with stuttering, I've been there. I've done that. I still do it. So 
I can I know what questions to ask. I know what to say. I know where to take the conversation. Mm. But when I started interviewing other people, that's when you have to do more research. You have to find out everything about them. When you're interviewing actors, yeah, exactly. comedians, and all that, you've got to find everything. Because for all you know, it could be a brilliant episode where everything's natural. You speak strong. You speak well. Or it could be an episode where they they give short answers. Not necessarily blunt, but you have to work a little bit harder to get that rapport going and get that quality of episode. So it was a step up, but I'm glad I did it. I was looking for a way to challenge myself, you know, go that little bit further. And yeah, that's how I did it really. And I always try to interview people from all different backgrounds, you know, always find a way to test myself. I interview people who I, I've watched on telly, interview people who are, are in my favourite TV shows, who I went to... I interviewed a singer called Daniel Johnson, who's on the postal lottery adverts he's best known for. But he was on The X Factor, and I actually went to see him on The X Factor tour in Cardiff in 2007 or something like that. Mm. So interviewing someone like him, who I've listened to when I was a child to now, is not only a pretty surreal experience, but it's also a way of seeing how far I've come. Because I remember going yeah, to shows. Like living your dream sort like of. Younger. Yeah, exactly. As I would always be terrified going to shows, concerts, anything, in case people spoke to me. Mm. And now I'm interviewing the people well, who I've watched. Now you do the approaching. Yeah. Yeah, it's, nice. it's mad. It really is. <laughs> That's really awesome. So how do you find the guests, especially the famous people? For example, you had, I believe, Dane Baptiste. Comedian? Yeah. How yeah, did you yeah. find him? How did you get in touch with him? How are they not busy? Yeah. Well, um, Dane Baptiste, like, I'm not just saying it. He is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. He's got so much time for you. And he's just, you know, a really genuine bloke. Before we even started the cameras rolling, we had a 40-minute conversation about race. Because that was mm. a very much Black Lives Matter that was in the heart of the news at the time. But to get these people on, just constantly tweet, email, Instagram, just harass people until they say yes or no, basically. And Dane Baptiste, he saw one of my tweets, responded, gave me his agent's email, and he was more than happy to come on the show. And I've watched him on telly, I've watched him at Live at the Apollo, 8 out of 10 cats, guessable. So interviewing him was brilliant, as I love stand-up comedy. You know, some people have music, some people have films. My thing is stand-up comedy. I absolutely love it. So mm. to interview a comedian like Dane Baptiste, that was brilliant. Nice. So pretty much just shoot your shot and hope you get lucky. And if you play the numbers right, then you're bound to get somebody, right? Yeah, it's literally probabilities. If you say message 50 people... 45 of them will ignore you. One of them will read your message and not respond. Three will say <laughs> no. One will say yes. Or maybe three will say yes and not turn up. Or, and, you know, but you've got to oh, really? friend, like you said, shoot your shot. Do they, do they like cancel, like tell you they're going to cancel or they literally don't turn up? I've not had it when no one's turned up to the interview, but I've had it when something quite... Not very big names, but known faces. There's been plenty of email trails, you know, arranging everything. And suddenly it does go completely dead. 
out of the blue okay. dead. And it's normally after I've put a lot of effort into planning everything. They'll just yeah. go dead and you can't hear from them. Oh, man, that sucks. I mean, that's never happened to me yet. And I hope it doesn't <laughs> happen. <laughs> but no, no it's it not sounds like experience. you've got good momentum. Yeah, you just got to keep going. And it was L- Lawrence from the True Geordie podcast actually said, if you message someone and they don't see it, you've lost nothing. If you message someone and they see it, then that's even better. So he actually gave the advice of just, as you say, shoot your shot. Because you've got nothing to lose at all. Yeah, pretty much. One thing I noticed in your first season you had like 23 episodes and you were releasing on a rate of like maybe one episode every three to four days. I mean, did you record the episodes beforehand or were you literally just podcasting that much? Yeah, well, it was the heart of lockdown again. So I was podcasting was what I did. It was you know, my way of staying sane. But I got to the point when I had so many episodes that if I released them weekly... I would have probably only finished a few months ago and I wanted a revamp. I wanted new logo. I wanted a website. I wanted new kit. So I started releasing twice a week, you know, like I said, every few days just to get all the episodes out there. You know, I do mm-hmm. re-release, re-promote, but I had that many episodes, that many good episodes. I could release them every few days and then it gave me, you know, a month or two off to really get everything ready for the revamp. And that's, yeah, what I did. Yeah, nice. So with this revamp, you started to focus more solely on men's health. So what kind of inspired you to have that sort of more rigid focus with the podcast? Well, it's always an issue that's not spoke about enough. You know, you see people like Tyson Fury, you know, the definition of alpha male, talk about mental health. But yeah. then it's still not out there enough. And I'm going to talk about one of my friends who I talk, I spoke about him in quite a few podcasts. And he always has a go at me for saying, you're talking about me again. And he came into a lesson in RA levels and he was in tears. He was very upset, not in a good way at all. And me and my mate who were already sat there kind of looked at each other and had no idea what to do or what to say. We just didn't know what to do because he was upset and sort of, you know, not raised to not show emotion, but I had no idea what to do. I'm an emotional lad myself, but I still had no idea how to help my friend when he needed it. And that got me thinking, you know, even though that was a year, two years before I started this revamp or even thought about podcasting, I thought if we can normalize men asking for help, men talking openly then that's a good way and it doesn't have to be specifically um conversations about mental health like just me and you sat here now talking openly authentically promotes men talking and that's the method i'm trying to get across like i will still interview women as well hopefully i've got a few coming up in the next few weeks but either focus on mental health and specifically men just talking and really asking for help yeah no i see that i think that's a noteworthy thing i mean myself for example in first year we had to give a presentation in like the spring term and i completely didn't turn up just because i was afraid of stuttering and then 
I admitted to my friends that, oh man, I couldn't do it. I had a panic attack. Stuttering just makes me get really nervy, particularly with those big situations like presentations. And they didn't know what to say. Like they literally didn't respond out of the fact that they just had no idea how to respond. So I think you're right. Just having a better awareness of one, how people feel and knowing ways to sort of help one another is a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you said, just knowing those ways. If you can talk, if you can just feel okay to talk, you know, even if you don't achieve anything, just having that weight off your shoulders by telling someone else, just by having an open conversation is definitely, you know, very important in my eyes. Yeah. I do notice in your podcast, you do have a lot of comedians there, like, what is it about comedians, Callum? Are they a joke to you or something? Yeah, well, I just, oh, I love stand-up comedy. Absolutely love it. Always have done. I think I went to see my, Michael McIntyre when I was uh, 11, 12, probably, you know. So that was one of the first things I went to. I've seen people like Jack Whitehall, Jason Manford, Rod Gilbert. You know, I have them from a young age. So I've always loved stand-up comedy. And just having a laugh and... Being happy, I think, is really important. Anyone would tell you, just smile, do stuff that makes you laugh, do stuff that makes you happy. So if I can get on comedians like Dane Baptiste, say like Ricky Claude, Nina G, Tom Price, then it's just a nice feeling, particularly to have comedians to have that comedy aspect on the podcast, you know, tell jokes, have a laugh, but also talk about their challenges, their hardships or struggles. You get the best of both worlds. Yeah. I guess comedians too do have to understand human nature quite a lot and be introspective. So they'll have quite a lot of good things to say regarding mental health, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's always something there. Like I interviewed the comedian Nina G who had a stutter as well. And, you know, she talked about how stepping into stand-up comedy is a massive challenge because you're practically saying that you think you are funny. You think you're funny enough for people yeah. to watch you. And that can be challenging. You're saying, okay, I want to do this, but you've got to have some level of confidence. But then on the other side, you also might not let her know Tom Price said that the best review he got, or one that always sticks in his mind, was when it said, Tom Price is a lot better than he thinks he is. And it's because they don't have that confidence to actually think, oh, I am funny enough. I am good enough. So it works both ways, really. Yeah, yeah. I actually listened to your Nina G episode and she was really funny. Like she made a joke about stammering and having an orgasm. Something like, um, if you just like not told me to hurry up, I'd probably finish sooner or something like that. Yeah. That is that one joke. You know, I released that episode. What was it? April, May, maybe, if not earlier. Mm-hmm. That I get asked about that episode and the quote stuttering orgasm said to me on a weekly basis, even now, you know, oh, months man. after that episode was released, if not six months after. That's when you know it's a, one, a good joke, and two, a good episode, because that's probably the, the episode I get talking about most or people ask me the most about when I'm on the phone to people from the Starfish Project. They'll say, oh, I listen to Nina G., that joke about stuttering orgasm was hilarious. That was the highlight. So, nice. you know, it makes me feel good. 
Yeah, it was good. It's generally, brilliant. yeah. And what are the responses generally like regarding your podcast? Yeah, you know, it's, you always get a few negative responses, but what I say is, but or, or what everyone says is, but bad publicity is good publicity, isn't it? Or any publicity is good publicity. So when you get a few people who say it's not that good or this and that, they've still listened to it. And yes, their opinions, but overall, you know, really good response, positive response, particularly to, I interviewed an actor called Mark Armstrong, Armstrong, Mark Armstrong, sorry, and he was a Scottish actor and he was in the BBC One series, Argyll, which is one of my favourite series of all time and two a very popular series. His episode went absolutely mental. The Our Girl fans are crazy. That's my most streamed episode and it was within the first week of it being out. It absolutely smashed any record it it could be. How did you promote it? How did you get the word out? Facebook groups. Yeah. Um, I I would promote on my social media but I know there's Facebook pages and Instagram pages for our girl fans. So I tagged them in it, shared it to them, and it went mental. Like if you look on my Instagram, the picture of Mark Armstrong got 100 more likes than my next highest like picture. Wow. And just because <laughs> the fans are that mad. If, you know, you've got to find your audience. Like when I interview singer duh, Daniel Johnson, he's got a yeah. fan base, X Factor fans. So I try to promote it in singing groups. When I interviewed mm. Mark Colburn, he's from Tradiga, the, the town of South Wales I'm from. I promoted it in the Tradiga group. And then that had great feedback. It's about finding your audiences, really. But yeah, you know, I, I like having good feedback, but I like having constructive criticism. That's why the podcast is ever changing. Like the intros yeah. change every now and again, the outros, the way I do it. Just because there's always room for improvement. And yeah, it's just accepting that like you know you don't want to be someone who can't take criticism yeah nice nice seems like you're making your breakthrough and i listened to the mark armstrong one he's a really really good speaker like the way he's able to like smoothly tell his story it's like really amazing and that's something i'm still trying to get to grips with now so i mean hats off to you for finding those people oh absolutely and he's actually a, a friend of mine now we still speak you know occasionally on a regular basis and i'm looking for i've got another episode coming up with a welsh actor called jack parry jones who was also in our girl and worked with mark armstrong he actually put me in contact with jack parry jones so hopefully that'll be another successful episode again he comes from the town next to me the town where i used to work so yes yeah, really good it's, it's about networking you know if you find one person and create a good relationship with them then they'll put you in contact with other people and just go from there, really. You just go, you know, it's like, like you said, if you don't ask for it, then you won't get it. Yeah. And I think the good thing about your podcast is it's got longevity, as in, I guess you could keep this up for years and years, right? Whereas for me, I'm probably going to have to stop after I finish university just because there won't really be the right kind of mood for it since I'll be a working person and talking to university people might get a bit weird so yeah <laughs> yeah that's true i can imagine if you carried on it might just make you want to be in university again yeah right yeah just looking back to the old days 
Yeah, but it's true. I'm just I trying to be very da, 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 diverse in my guests. Mm-hmm. So I have comedians, I have former military, I have Olympians, Paralympians, actors, singers, just so there's something for everyone. Just so if someone listens to an episode with a comedian and they don't think much of it, there's more comedians. There's all these singers, all these actors. I try to, there's still people in the stuttering community I interview, fellow podcasters. So there's always something for everyone. I interviewed an incredible lady called Lisa Edwards in the first series. And she actually overcame um, a lot of internal battles um, with sexual assault and domestic abuse and rape. And just having her story was a turning point. Yeah. Because that was the most professional podcast episode I've ever had to do because of the nature of it. But again, I can have someone like Lisa Edwards and then have a comedian like Nina G, who are completely different, but both work in the Schofield stories. And that's why I try to make it something for everyone. And that's why I might not have consistent stats when it comes to views, but it's because I have that diversity in episodes. Yeah, I think diversity is important because... Even for myself, if I listen to a podcast, I'll probably pick and choose specific episodes which sound yeah. interesting to me. As in, unless I'm like a hardcore fan, I'm not going to listen to every single episode. So yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, exactly. When I listen to the t- True Geordie podcast or the Distracted Pieces podcast or the Dave Baptiste's podcast, you know, I'll choose the episodes with the people I like, like Scroobius Pip. He interviews people I've never heard of, but then he interviews my favourite comedians like James Acaster. So I'll listen to James Acaster as opposed to one I'm not familiar with. So that's why I like that bit of diversity. Yeah. And within this podcast, you do try to keep up the theme that you are raising awareness for stuttering, even for the non-stuttering episodes. So is this like the main thing you do to raise awareness or are there other things in your life as well that you, that you get up to? Yeah, the podcast, definitely. I've always said just by hosting a podcast with a stutter, that's raising awareness. You know, same as yourself. We don't have to talk about stuttering to necessarily raise awareness. So the podcast is a big thing. I always yeah. mention stop holding back on the outro of every episode. But again, just talking about it, I'm a lot more open about talking about stuttering. I share a lot on my social media. On October 22nd, it's International Stamina Awareness Day. This year, I released a v- video of my speech before, my speech after. Just you know, a little mm-hmm. three-minute video about stammering. And that's the first time I've put up anything of me stuttering openly before yeah. I worked on my speech. And that had you know, thousands and thousands of views. People met mm. all around the world. I even got onto examples Instagram. I literally sent example a message on Instagram on the off chance, and then he started promoting me and my story. But it's basically just talking, whether it's speaking to friends, family, Facebook, Twitter, just by occasionally sharing something or saying something, then that's raising awareness. Is you know I think it's one to three percent of the world have a stutter. But the percentage that we know or know what supports on offer, I would say is 0.5 maximum. I feel like there's so many people who we need to reach. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. And do you feel 
the situation can get better for children who stutter. I think um, it, it can definitely improve for adults in terms of just not holding back and being okay with it. But what about kids who are still yet to really understand how the world works and realise it's okay to be different? Because once I developed the fear of stuttering as a kid, that was bye-bye. There was like no acceptance yeah. or getting through it. I had the fear and only something as intensive as what I do now could have got rid of it. So do you feel awareness is enough for kids? Honestly, I don't. But I got asked this before. Someone said to me, I bet you know exactly what to do if your kid had a stutter. And I said, absolutely not. I've yeah, no. on my speech when, when, I, when I was 18. So I, I know what I'm yeah. to get to 18. But I think it's hard because when I attended Starfish, I knew I attended it at the right time for me. If I attended it any earlier, I might not have took as much as I did from it. So that's why one of my messages is always trust the timing of things. But when you're younger, you don't want to be different or you, you might not notice you're different. As I went to speech therapy when I was a very young child, then again towards the end of primary school. But at that age, I didn't see my stutter as a problem because it was just before the fear developed. So yeah. they were teaching me in speech therapy, you know, the standard NHS stuff, these different ways of speaking. But I, I wasn't practicing because I thought I'm no different. And it was only the next year or two when I started to really notice that I was different. But I think you need that support network, whether that's friends, family, teachers. I think it's getting better. We, we, we are seeing more young people or young people's parents introduce them to stuttering communities, whether that's in person or via Facebook, just to know that you're not alone. But I think it's a hard one. It is a hard one. I yeah, feel no. like to get the most out of it, you have to be of sound mind, maybe. And you, you have to be ready. And some people aren't ready in their 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, because they still got that fear. It's when you're ready to make the change. I feel like as a young person, what you have to do is just give as much support as possible. As I feel yeah. like that's the main thing. If you have support from school, support from family, support from the stepping community before you take action, then that will set you up a lot better, I think. Yeah. Now, I think it is a hard one. I just thought I'd throw it out there. And yeah, I think um, the question you raised about what would you do if you had a child who had a stutter, I'm not really sure because I feel speech therapy can be good, but in some ways, telling a child to control their speech could be disastrous. Like for me, they told me to speak slower because I started right. And whilst that worked, that just made me realise that stuttering is not to be done. So I think what you said, just having that mental support and being reassured is probably really the best bet. Yeah, I think some, so. some people have always said, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Like some people have said, what if no one made a thing of, of stuttering? Like if you had a child and you never mentioned it, didn't make a big thing out of it, would it naturally go, go away? And that's always a very hypothetical question. But if I did that, for example, in hindsight, if I had a child who had a stutter, and I didn't mention it at all, I didn't speak out and make a big deal out of it, and they continued to stutter until the ages of 10, 11, then I would feel bad for not taking action earlier. So it's sort mm -hmm. of... It's catch 22, one. man. <laughs> yeah. it, it, so much is catch 22 in stuttering, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, I think my approach would be, I wouldn't 
bring it up with them and I wouldn't want them to be aware of it. But once they were, I, I would tell them that it's okay to stutter. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Because I think kids are impressionable because no one told me that stuttering was okay. I think if someone told me that it's okay to stutter, then I may not have developed that fear. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I really do. It's, I've always found that quite strange how the fear came after the, the step there as there was a time in primary school that I only actually remembered this year that this group of boys used to um, force me to stay in the toilets and they would make me say stuff like they would make me say Callum, Crocodile oh, man. and things like that and they wouldn't let me leave until I stuttered and they had a good laugh out of it. But at the was time... Was this primary or secondary, sir? Uh, primary school this was, yeah. So primary, It was wow. the okay. end of primary school. I must have been in year six probably, so nine or ten and mm -hmm. they won't let me leave until i stuttered badly in front of them but at the time that's awful i didn't yeah. have the fear so, yeah like, it's only looking back now that i think that's really bad but i remember at the time this one lad kept asking me my name and i thought he's really forgetful but every time he sees me he won't <laughs> let me leave until i tell him my name oh, what's your name man? <laughs> and that me at the time but now looking yeah. back i was thinking wait a minute this was a daily thing sometimes why would he make me say crocodile? Why would he make me say my name? And I remember one of another lad in a bathroom said something like, "Oh, just leave him." And you know, it's weird that I blocked that from my memory until this year that this has come back. So it's oh really stuff like like that. you actually managed yeah, to suppress that memory. Yeah, it literally came back. I was wow okay around this year. I was just literally in bed, yeah. and it just came in my head, and I thought. Well, that, that was real. That actually happened. It just came back. Wow. And I don't know okay. how or why I suppressed it, but maybe that was the, the trigger to feel that fear. Yeah. But it was. It could have been. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. But it, it was interesting. I remember at the time, I wasn't, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, I was buh, 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 bullied as such. I wouldn't have said mm -hmm. I was bullied at the time, but mm -hmm. looking back, it obviously was. So it shows how... Yeah, no. You know, that is bona fide bullying, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just... It's weird. I, I'm wondering if I had the fear beforehand, would that have affected me even worse? You know, having those moments, would that have took me on a downward spiral maybe if I had that fear already before this bullying started yeah okay so you're saying that you may you may you may have actually got it quite easy in some ways yeah i think in some way but then again you know in secondary school i always had people laughing at me i was compared to uh motorbike helicopter stuff like that you know someone said if i had to go to war i would take calm and say speak because you know, oh, machine man. gun impressions and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And it, it, it got me very pa paranoid. Like I, whenever I heard someone laugh, I would immediately think they were laughing at me. Mm. That was just the way my head went. And it was it was stupid. Like someone said, when I step on snow and it crunches, it reminds me of your speech. And I was like, how does that even make sense? That's like, it doesn't. At least make it a good insult if you're going to insult me. That's just stupid. Like, yeah, no, I think yeah. I got quite lucky because 
I was pretty covert with my starter. So people would really notice. So I'd say kids can be quite cruel, but as adults, I'd say it's not as terrible. I'd say eh, in all my time now, trying to overcome my stutter, I've barely had anybody laugh at me for my stutter. So I think that is a positive, just knowing that people aren't out to get you and really people don't really think about you. So there's not really much to worry about once you really conceptualize it. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, one of the biggest learning curves has been realizing that other people have more important things to worry about than me. If I'm yeah. asking someone, you know, it's like um, I've always said this, um, because of my experience working at McDonald's and working on the drive throughs and stuff like that, I've had customers swear at me, threaten me and everything, and I can't remember what they look like. So if the odd chance someone stuttered when I was taking their order, I would forget about them by that evening. You know, if I can't remember mm. the people who said they're going to wait out for me after and everything like that, it goes to show that stuttering is not, it's only a bad thing if you make it bad. It's only a big thing if you make it big. But there's so many people who you just don't remember. So if you feel the fear of stuttering in front of a stranger, is a good. they're not going to remember you as a person who stutters. Because they've yeah. got 101 things going on instead. Exactly, yeah. And I'm not sure if Starfish has this thing, but on my speech program, the Maguire, Maguire program, we have a thing called Contacts, where we go out yeah. and speak to 100 random people. So once you do something like that, you realise people do not care. And in fact, you begin to not care yourself, regardless of other people's opinions. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think, the biggest turn of I don't know about yourself, but not worrying about what other people think was the biggest thing for me. The minute I stopped caring, and you can tell that in university, was the stupid stuff I've done and just said, was like, we do this thing in our flat that we joke saying, I'm the king of Sugarwell, which is the name of our accommodation. And they okay. were, uh, <laughs> this, this, Sounds like a reception thing, but yeah, yeah this sure. is going somewhere. There was a fire alarm went off in two of the other buildings, the four buildings. So outside, there was about 50, 60 people. Our building was evacuated. We don't know why, but for some reason it wasn't. They thought we'd be safe. And we do this thing when I shout out... Normally when I'm very drunk, I shout out the window, I'm the king, and do a king's announcement in an old English voice. All right. So perfectly sober, middle of the day, fire alarm goes off, 60-odd people outside. I just decide... Well, my flatmates went, will you actually? So I shouted... Good evening, Sugarwell. This is your king. Do not be alarmed. Everything is under control and all that. In front of these oh, 60, 70 people outside. All looked up and thought, who is that idiot calling himself the king? <laughs> but it's doing stuff. Because if I still cared about what other people thought, I would have never even went near that window. You'd be fucked. Yeah. Stupid stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. But everyone was thinking, who's that knobhead? But it's the fact that it's a stupid story, but that's about not caring what people think. And just yeah. even in doing that, that helped me develop because I was way out of my comfort zone. Normally, I would do that after a few drinks down me. I was doing that perfectly sober in the middle of the day. <laughs> but it's just doing things like that, really, you know, no one no one mentioned it. It was obvious it was me because I'm one of the only Welsh people in my accommodation. But no one ever said, oh, were you that lad shouting out the window? Because nobody cares. So it's just, that's, you know, sort of a symbol of not caring about what other people think i think it's quite an extreme one but it still gives the same message really 
Yeah, for real. For me, it's like a, a too late thing whereby I've realized that, yeah, people don't really care about you. But regardless of even if they did, I'm learning not to care yeah. in, in any case anyway. So, yeah, yeah that's how it is. And yeah, and I understand you're training to become a life coach. I'm sort of like, if I'm um, correct, not an official life coach, but I'm doing this online course of life coaching. It's it's sort of a personal development thing for me, but it gives me a better idea of how to be a good listener, how to set goals, how to move forward. So you know, it's not an official life coach thing at all, but it's still a course that I'm interested in and learning about to help myself and therefore help others but not officially, like, give advice, give support, even in the stuttering community, use what I've learned there, but it does correspond. So that's something I'm doing on the side. I haven't done it for a while, but it's always something good to have. You get a certificate at the end of the course. And like I said, you know, it's helped my personal development a lot as well. It teaches you a lot about putting your principles into practice. Yeah. And that's, I think, is very important in every aspect of life. Mm. Do you see yourself using that in any sort of scenario once you graduate from university, maybe start helping other people in some official capacity? Um, it's hard to tell. I, I personally don't think so, but I'm quite happy using it to support people in the stuttering community, friends, people close to me. No, it's not something I would probably do professionally, but it's something I enjoy doing for me and for those around me, even if it's just sharing little bits of wisdom, little bits of advice, you know, anything like that. It's a very non-official, but it's still something that, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing in my spare time, maybe. Yeah, nice. And just looking at the things you do, I really respect you. And you have inspired me to maybe start thinking of more ways how I could also raise awareness for stuttering. Because even though, by and large, I can get by, I think it's still important to maybe talk about it more, like not just for my sake, but for other people too that may not have the same privilege as I do with overcoming it. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's giving inspiration to other people. It's, you know, it's being the person who you would have wanted. So when I was 13, 14, you know, sat in my head of years office in tears about my speech, who would I have needed then? You know, who would I have had to look up to? So that's why I'm trying to be someone now, you know, very open, very true. I've never sugarcoated anything or say how good times were when they weren't. So just try and be the person who you needed when you were in need, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that, for example, for myself, when I have, like, had troubles now with my speech, I find it's important to still be okay, as in not let myself feel any different to how I feel when I'm more fluent. Just knowing that I'm okay just because I exist, not because I sometimes don't stutter or because sometimes I do stutter. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to be. Is what I, I'm trying to put into practice, but failing miserably, is it, it's a technique that Sarah Millick and the comedian uses. After a good gig, she'll give herself until midday the next day to celebrate as a good gig, and then switch off and carry on. Or if it's a bad mm -hmm. gig, she'll give herself until 12 midday the next day to feel a bit shitty about it, and then switch off and move on. 
So I've tried adopting that, whether it's speech-related or anything else. If I've had a bad speech day, I'll reflect on it. Not if I feel down about it, but I'll think about it, reflect, work things out, and I give myself until 12 midday the next day, and then after that, wipe the slate clean and move on. And the same if I've had a really good speech day. Like, for example, I think I've spoke really well on this podcast tonight with you, so I'll yeah. give myself till midday tomorrow to celebrate that and feel good about it, then wipe the slate clean and move on. It's a lot easier yeah. said than done, but I think <laughs> it's quite nice to have that bit of leeway as you don't want to be thinking, oh, I, I can't feel bad about something or I can't feel too good about something. But it's really hard. It's really hard just to switch off because you yeah, don't no. want to. But it obviously you, you the practice. But it's, <laughs> yeah, technically I am trying. Yeah. If I could give one advice, I'd say drop the phrase bad speech day. For me, if my speech isn't where I want it, I'll call it a challenging speech day or a tough yeah. speech day. And in any case, I feel... If I'm not stuttering, maybe I'm not pushing my comfort zones enough because right now, oh, yeah. uh, I can really feel the pressure. Like I can feel the blocks coming in. Whereas when I leave this laptop now and talk to my family, my stutter won't be apparent just because they are a full-on comfort zone. So really, I think more stuttering is needed to overcome stuttering. <laughs> oh, I completely agree. Yeah, as you know, I've stuttered on this podcast, but I still think it's been good speech and I'm saying once I leave this my technique will drop I know it will because I'll be with my family I'll have a few stellars tonight to celebrate new year but it's not I completely agree when it's about not being a bad day it's the lady Anne B Blight who runs Starfish is the most incredible woman I've ever met in my life but she always says a bad day is when you don't wake up we only have challenging days a bad day is when mm. you don't wake up in the morning so that's why she you know, bans the word bad at all. And it's it's true, you know, we have challenging days, but it's very rare you'll have a day when everything goes wrong. Because if you've still had a meal, if you've still had a shower, if you still spoke to a friend, spoke to a family, then it's not a bad day. Yeah, no, exactly. We are okay. And in the meantime, where can people find your podcast and other related stuff? Well, my podcast is available on all major streaming platforms we're on spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts um, i think we're on a few more like per pod per pod bean um I, I can't remember the others but about three or four more just quite big podcast streaming platforms um the, you, you can always stream it through my website which is miscofieldstories.com and on the website it's got links to all social media and YouTube. So just search for the Schofield Stories on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you'll find my page along with any personal pages. Really, I, I should be quite easy to find, especially if you go through the website, as all the links to everything you could possibly need Schofield Story related are on there. Fantastic. And have you got any message to the general audience for people that may want to make a podcast someday? Yeah, just I'd say gah, gah go for it as i start my podcast with no equipment at all the first episode my, my audio was absolutely terrible and i've apologized to the guests i had on multiple occasions for ruining his episode <laughs> but just go for it because if you hold back then you'll always regret it as i'm always big on i'd rather do something and regret it 
then regret not doing it. So just, yeah, go for it. All you need is a voice. And, you know, like yourself and myself, we both have stutters and host podcasts. So no one else can have an excuse in my eyes. Yeah, <laughs> nice and simple. Go for it. Callum Schofield, yeah. thank you for coming and trimming on campus. Oh, normally people say oh, like, sorry, thank we, you for having we, me. We, we, like, you're welcome. That was your ending or not? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, that was the ending, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, dear. but for real, thank you for coming on. That's, that's no worries. Um, got through all that way, then ruined it right at the end. <laughs> <laughs>